1: Welcome everyone! I'm here at the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences and looking forward to our discussion with the guest of today's episode. He's working as a researcher at the Department of Sport Medicine at NIH and as a researcher in Energy Balance and Breast Cancer aspect Study at Oslo University Hospital. His research is focused on physical activity, sedentary time and metabolic risk factors. He is currently working in the Generation Sedentary Project, ladies and gentlemen. I am honored to introduce our guest, Anders Husøy. Welcome.
2: Thank you. It's pronounced Anders Husøy in Norwegian. I know it's it's very difficult.
1: Say it again. I try to go it.
2: Anders Husøy.
1: Anders Husøy.
2: It's even got one of those letters that we only have in the Norwegian or the Scandinavian. Alphabet.
1: yeah yeah usually i actually remember to ask that how do i pronounce the name and then i try but it still goes wrong but yeah that's that's good Not
2: that
0: important.
1: yeah no it's i i think it's it's our names and uh, <laughs> and so on yeah so so you are working in the project interestingly named generation sedentary could you tell more about this project
2: yeah, uh, that's a um, a large uh, umbrella project focusing on, uh, well, I guess what we call the generation sedentary, the generation that's growing up now, uh, which is more sedentary than than ever before. Uh, we see a lot of technological advances uh, which make them uh, probably more prone to to entertain themselves in sedentary. Um, type of act- activities such as smartphones and computers, TV series, as, uh, which are accessible everywhere, at any mm-hmm. time. Uh, and my particular project is, uh, is a follow-up study um, of a group of people that has been measured uh, at our place or at the NIH two times before. Uh, They were here as nine-year-olds and they Mm. were here as 15-year-olds and now they are on average 23 years uh, of age. So what we'll do now is to invite them in again and we will uh, measure their uh, physical activity levels, uh, their amount of sedentary time, uh, physical fitness and um, also different cardiometabolic risk factors.
1: All right, so quite a nice longitudinal setting of uh, 20 years almost? No, yeah, uh, it's 13, uh, yeah. 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 And, and what kind of things you have measured from them, what, what variables you have measured?
2: Um, we have uh, fasting blood samples, uh, a DEXA scan and the body composition, we have uh, a physical fitness measure, um, and we have a questionnaire So we'll do the same again, now they are grown-ups obviously, so um, their parents are not involved, they were involved the first two times, Mm. Um, but now basically we want to see both how their activity levels have changed with objective measures, Um, and we want to see how their fitness levels have changed, uh, the risk for uh, developing cardiovascular diseases, how they have changed and whether or not maybe we could find some correlates of, of physical activity that can act as determinants so that we might figure out who uh, or why some people remain active and why some become inactive
1: mm. yeah and you said questionnaires and also objective PA have, have you measured both or
2: yeah uh, the, the, the questionnaires are more about um, behavior and, and attitudes towards uh, physical activity and health in general mm, but yeah. also some short questions about um, diet uh, and, and general exercise habits that they have now yeah, yeah yeah so it's not uh, it's not really a physical activity questionnaire so the physical activity measurements are from the act graph, uh, an objective measure
1: all right yeah and you you're measuring it from the waist or
2: yeah on the hip um, yeah. same as uh, we've done earlier yeah yeah
1: so can harmonize the data uh, yeah as, as yeah. well as
2: possible it's, it's difficult with physical activity data it's such a fluctuating variable in nature
1: yeah. yeah and and they are now 23 have you already done the measurements for for this time point of
2: no, actually, we're, we're starting inviting next week, All hopefully, right. so we'll start call, uh, and we'll see, I mean, we have 731 that we can reach out to, uh, we have set a goal of including 400 mm-hmm. of them, uh, we know that we won't get everyone, but we have managed to offer them uh, 1,000 kroners, uh, Norwegian Kronos or about mm. 100 euros if they mm. participate, which we hope may be um, important to those who are in doubt. Uh, but of course we don't know and we hope that they will uh, participate, but it's always, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, a lot of the, the study will be done in the, the data collection and hopefully we'll get everyone. Um, most certainly we will get um, quite a few. But I mean if we get 400 i, I will be very happy yeah, yeah
1: yeah i was actually about to ask about the drop how much is the how many you had when they were nine years old
2: 1300 uh, agreed yeah i think but i think we have data on about 1100 all right So yeah. it's 731 now and it's uh, likely to be around 400 so obviously it's a massive dropouts uh, I know that's one of the problems of doing a longitudinal study, it's uh, kind of unavoidable, but we would like to keep that to as low an extent as possible. Obviously, this is also to do with the mechanisms behind the the missing data, so to speak, why why have they dropped out? Mm, Because, of course, if they who drops out are um, completely different to those who um, still remain in the study, Mm. Then we have no way of uh, predicting what their measurements would have been.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have you tried to track somehow that what why why have they dropped out? That what could be the reason? So
2: I wasn't involved in the first two studies, but I know that the dropout analysis was done after the first, the first to the second study. Mm -hmm. So that's a report that I would like to read, and I would also uh, look into to this when when I get all the data. Yeah. I think it's unfortunately I think it would be very weird if it's a completely random pattern Mm, I think it's more likely to be because of certain uh, characteristics or things um, perhaps related to physical activity and fitness in general
1: yeah yeah yeah. and you said that you can give small monetary compensation do you usually do that and does it make a big difference like
2: We've tried now, we don't usually do that, mm. but we've tried now because the budget allowed it. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully it will make a difference, um, but I mean I, I read also quite a recent review uh, on how to keep as many as possible in your longitudinal study. Mm. And. I mean, there are varying results, but it seems that the most effective way is probably how you handle the data collection, how you are both flexible and the ease of it. So it's very simple for the participants, for example. Mm, yeah. So if you manage that, then it's probably the most effective way. But of course, I think for some, the thousand progress would be very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it might add, add a little bit of yeah. motivation. In there, and so basically, you hope to have four hundred, and you have DEXA, and do you have a direct uh, VO two max test? Or? It is a
2: direct VO two max test on, on a treadmill, um, and also a static static grip strength test. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. It's um, I think the first. I think the first VO two max test was done on bicycle. Mm. with an indirect measure so we'll have to look into that as well how we can convert that as uh, good as possible to get them comparable mm.
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so I, I guess you will be quite busy doing 400 <laughs> direct treadmill <laughs> yeah. tests
2: yeah also I, I, our, um, we have three uh, wonderful master students who will be participating in the testing but I guess I will be in charge of much of the logistics which I guess could be kind of a, uh, a big job yeah.
1: yeah I think always the I've been also there like the logistics it's quite a big thing like arranging timetables with people and if you have 400 I, yeah. I don't know do you have any good tricks for how to do it better or no.
2: Uh, I mean, we've talked about it and it's, it was kind of like I mentioned, I think we need to realize that we have to be quite flexible uh, and do it on, on the participants' terms mm. and uh, do it just as easy for them as possible, just make them show up and then we have everything planned out and we have a testing procedure uh, that that works and it's, it's fluent, no hiccups. Mm. I think that's important. Um, Otherwise, we'll see because some of these uh, are placed all around uh, in, in uh, around in Norway. Mm. So we want them to get here to do all the testing, but it might also be possible to do the testing somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Because we want them to get here for fasting blood samples. So we've also said that we will um, compensate them for the traveling expense. Uh, yeah. That they have, but I think for most people Get up really early and get here uh, fasting. Uh, yeah, I think it might be a challenge. Uh, yeah, but I mean, in the very least, we might ask them to wear the accelerometers and fill out the, the questionnaires, so that yeah. we we get some data on. Yeah,
1: them. and Norway is not the fastest one to go by by road. Even the distances are not crazy, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it's
2: such a. Nothing is flat, so you have to go around every mountain or um, below a sea or yeah. a boat over the sea, it's a lot of... Yeah, <laughs> I, have,
1: of... I I have noticed that <laughs> it's... it's... <laughs>
2: it's not that it might look
1: short on the map, but when yeah. you actually start driving, it, it takes time. <laughs> yeah, and you have a Dexa here. Uh, yeah, for for the message. That's why
2: we wanted to get here because everything that we want to do is is here. So it's it's quite locally, and it's not much traveling when they are first here, and it's probably maximum two hours per participants when they are mm. on, on the house. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I, I think you probably haven't done the first first studies with the data as they are it's, quite old. But do you remember what the what have been found in this project?
2: Yeah, it's no doubt that the physical activity levels decline uh, from nine to fifteen, uh, mm. and uh, they most certainly will have declined further. To uh, to to now, to 23 years of age. So it's, it's more about perhaps looking into patterns like um, uh, different kinds of socio- and socio-economic status, um, looking into what characteristics, uh, defining those who end up as, as active. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more about uh, how and why, um, because the what is, is, we're pretty sure that uh, activity levels have declined, also from 15 to 23. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, on average, they are quite active in Norway, when you compare them to other international studies. But still, it's... Um, we see, at least in the adult population, that about two-thirds do not reach the, the recommend, recommended um, levels of physical activity.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: So, it's... Um, yeah, I mean if we knew a little more perhaps on why some people remain active and why some become inactive then maybe we could design even more effective interventions than those we have now because it's it's difficult to intervene, it's mm-hmm. usually done in school hours uh, and we have some good ideas on what might be effective. but. No, no intervention has really been effective as as to now, and I think we also uh, the interventions are probably not time-consuming enough. It's just general too few hours, perhaps to to really change behavior. Mm, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it's not really an easy task to change behavior, no?
0: whatever it is, basically. This podcast is sponsored by Fibion, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting standing, physical activity, and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate, and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. And then you have been also in studies about breast cancer, Uh, could you tell more about
1: this study?
2: Yeah, after my master's degree I worked four years on the the Oslo University Hospital where we, uh, it's still an ongoing clinical trial where we uh, look into the effect of physical activity among breast cancer patients Mm. So these are breast cancer patients with localized breast cancer stage one and two. So it's no, uh, no met- metastasis. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, uh, it's uh, about 600 in total. That's been included in the study. So it's an intervention study where, where half uh, gets an exercise intervention and the rest gets um, uh, regular care and the aim of the study is to see if whether the exercise the first year after diagnosis um, can um, well, in, in the long run make them live longer but also how it affects their metabolic profile mm. and uh, if it uh, might be effective for for the side effects that we see that many many get from treatment also long-term side effects and if it helps for that, then it might be also easier for many of them to perhaps do things as a uh, get back to work and uh, to function uh, normally and in general have a higher quality of life. Hmm. So it's, um, it's not really any results uh, out there yet because it's still ongoing in the data collection. But I mean, it will be really interesting to see because there are I mean, it wouldn't be the most uh, expensive way of improving health for the breast cancer patients by by doing physical activity. Mm. I think the big challenge there would be how do we actually get them to to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah and and you started already 5 years ago and you said no publication yet so it's quite a long intervention i i, yeah, see. I mean
2: it's, it's a one year intervention uh, but it's uh, it's been an, a rolling inclusion uh, so the inclusion have mm. uh, have um, gone from 2014 until now um, uh, uh, last year and then we're still going through uh, the follow up data mm.
1: yeah, yeah and what kind of training program they have or exercise it's, program
2: it's, it's mostly um, cardiovascular program with uh, interval training on, on uh, high intensity and also some basic body exercise, um, strength exercises yeah. um, and, um, and um, flexibility exercises so, it's, uh, it's more or less a program that you could do anywhere. You, you don't really, really need much of a, an equipment to do it. Mm. So, that was always the focus try to do it outdoors and and do it in a group so that you also have to do it with other people. Mm. Yeah. yeah.
1: And high intensity to save time, or what was the.
2: I guess I wasn't involved in the developing of the project, so I'm mm. not really sure what the. Uh, the thoughts, uh, thoughts behind it were, but I guess it was uh, uh, more perhaps to do with, uh, with the the fitness to do, mm. yeah, the cardiovascular yeah. fitness, um, and perhaps the thought that it would be um, uh, the most effective way of exercise. Mm. But I'm not really sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course.
1: Yeah, sure. How harder you go, yeah. more you, more you improve. And and then you are looking at the metabolic profile. What kind of variables you are looking in in this
2: it's one? It's just about uh, everything. I've seen the blood the samples list is is massive. It's huge. So it's mm. uh, more or less any known and also perhaps uh, non uh, factors relating to to um, uh, cardiovascular risk. Uh, mm. So we would we would assume that. I mean, quite, quite a few breast cancer patients now survive their breast cancer, but they instead they die of uh, cardiovascular disease. All right. So I think uh, for those uh, elderly and uh, breast cancer with low grade, I think uh, exercise would likely, uh, I think it would be likely if they live longer because there are known uh, uh, preventive effects of cardiovascular disease from physical activity. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know the specific um, breast cancer mortality mm. in, in relation to to physical activity after diagnosis. But I think it would be, if nothing else, it would be you know, be effective for for uh, uh, the so called co- comorbidity that many get after breast cancer. Mm, yes.
1: Yeah, and you said that it's probably more difficult to get the people actually to do it yeah. what, what have you learned with these, these patients about getting people to do the exercise program
2: my experience has been that uh, I've had a group myself actually here at home so we've been around in the woods and exercising and uh, my experience is that it's, it's tough during chemotherapy especially mm. but, but the experience is that it's um, it's safe uh, and it's um, something that I really appreciate, uh, both that they have a, a instructor, I think mm. that's been important because they, they show up, uh, they feel that they have to show up because they're part of the study, mm. but they're also part of the, groups of the group mentality and the, the social aspects of being physical active, uh, physical active. I think that's been perhaps the most important part really. Hmm. That they're part of something bigger and they could share experiences Um, and there's something uh, almost magical happening when you're physical active with someone else it's um, almost always bringing out a positive uh, attitude Uh, so there was never any complaints never any negative uh, thoughts really when we were there Hmm. Um, so I would say in my experience that it's 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 feasible but i do think it's very very hard to do it on your own mm. and especially on the treatment i think that is close to impossible yeah if you haven't a group or if you're um maybe also the instructor but especially that organization you know the timing you know the time you know the place and you know the people mm. so it's much easier in those cases to, to show up and actually do it. So, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And you said that it's very tough during the chemo therapy, which is understandable. What, how how would you describe how difficult is it to get to do the training? You said it's safe, but what kind of challenge does it, it possess?
2: It's it's uh, very often they, they get what they call cancer-related fatigue, which is an expression of being totally exhausted. Mm. Um, and uh, th- there are also uh, several other um, commonly reported side effects such as um, um, neuro uh, I'm not really sure how to say it in, in English but it's uh, like tingling in, in your fingers it's a mm. neural system yeah. so both in your hands and especially on your feet so for some people it might be even painful to walk um, during chemotherapy some, some sort of chemotherapy yeah uh, and also for some their immune system is reduced so sometimes you should be careful uh, but during chemotherapy when people have been really reduced what we told them is that it's, it's better that you show up and do whatever you can just keep it um, you can stay calm you don't have to participate as intensive in the intervals you can you can just walk if you want to you can walk your own run uh, where you can stay with us uh, uh, and people have generally found that uh, motivating because when they're done with the exercise even if they've just been a part of the walking mm. um, they have a good feeling afterwards
1: yeah and uh, how, how do you arrange it practically that if some people just walk that the group yeah. still stays the same like
2: it's, uh, well, the good part is that we've done the intervals in, in uphills Mm. So we've gone uphills hills, uh, and that's also because not everyone can run if they no. are elderly and they haven't ne- perhaps never done it before. Then uphill is kind of a magic <laughs> exercise to because you can train on high intensity without going very fast. Yeah. Um, so what we've done is that we've and then the interval uphills and we've um, gathered after the interval in the Mm -hmm. breaks so that we're together again and then we go on so the group was never really separated um, but at least uh, to to a big extent
1: Yeah, and I think you don't have problems finding steep uphills
2: in (laughs) Songzvan No, I mean, you don't have to walk very far (laughs) even though this isn't really the steepest part of the country but it's quite a lot of uphills (laughs) in
1: here It it definitely is Yeah, and and so basically you said that the training is safe Is there some markers that you need to take seriously like when when is it not safe or what are the?
2: In general if you have an ongoing infection then Mm. obviously you shouldn't exercise Uh, and also if you have um, a very low immune system You Mm. should be be careful. I mean you can exercise but, but Probably not as intensive as uh, uh, as what we've we've done yeah so but otherwise it's, it's it's really more about listening to your own body because everyone knows their own body but for, for some especially during treatment it becomes uh, uh, another a different body so you have mm. to uh, learn to listen to it again and take the signals that you get um, mm. and perhaps some days you shouldn't work out. Really intensive.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
2: it's always better to do something than yeah. to do nothing. But uh, it might not be be the time where you go out and you do four x four or a, a really high intensive uh, session when you are on chemotherapy. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it's not no really uh, not really any restrictions. Uh, of course, listen to the medical advice of your doctor. Uh, mm. But um, I also uh, think that a lot of people get more warnings than they probably need because it's um, a lot of uh, nurses and, and doctors tell uh, tell patients on, on chemotherapy that they shouldn't really move, uh, try to stay as still as possible. And I think that is a kind of knowledge that we're evolving and it's probably something that's gonna change in the future because this thing about exercising during, during Treatment is quite new hmm. so I think it's, a, it's a, no, a knowledge that's evolving but I'm quite sure that it's uh, not the advice that we'll give in 10-20 yeah. years time so
1: it might be your study this project that might uh, affect the guidelines so.
2: a part of it probably yeah. because yeah. It's, it's, a, it's the biggest one that's out there now I think
1: yeah, yeah. and I think there's trend in almost any any condition, whether it's a low back pain or something that mm-hmm. earlier they put you in a bed for two weeks mm-hmm. and then like, all right, now you can start doing something and now it's like keep moving. And I think with, with all of the conditions, it's almost the same. And, and you mentioned about the tingling in the feet and so on. Is it just unpleasant, but you can kind of just leave it be and just do or how do you
2: so incredibly different so what i've learned about breast cancer is that it's such a heterogeneous disease you have it's it's called breast cancer but it's it acts differently Mm. in in very many people so you can always have 50 different subtypes of breast cancer which would affect what kind of treatment you get and then two people can get the exact same treatment and respond totally differently Mm. in terms of side effects so some people do this treatment with a few or none side effects, that's yeah that's quite few, but there are people that report that, and most people get some side effects. but I would say that, in my experience, probably the most normalist is the kind of the tingling mm. sensation or the numbness that you don't really feel what's going on. It's like you're walking on pillows. Mm. Um, but for some people it's always uh, also kind of like a burning sensation yeah so that it's kind of painful to yeah um, and I know that now when you get these kinds of uh, uh, side effects uh, usually they stop the, the cure uh, a little earlier if, if it's get really profound in the, in the side effects mm.
1: yeah. yeah and you mentioned about the cancer-related fatigue uh, have you noticed that if they do the training how fatigued they are afterwards and how much they need to recover from the training?
2: You know, it's, it's so difficult because what we do and when we do a, a Randomized control trial we get get you try to get comparable groups mm. So every analysis you do is on group level mm. So if you want to do it on an individual level, ideally every person should be in some control uh, unfortunately, that's not possible. Mm. Both to receive the intervention and do the control, so it's it's impossible to say because no doubt a lot of people have also been uh, on the, the the training and then felt like they were completely exhausted even the whole next day. Mm. Um, so it's very difficult. Uh, I guess a lot of people assume that it would have been even worse if they hadn't been exercising Hmm. but that's a part of what we want to to see if there are any systematic differences between the intervention group and the control group and how they report their degree of fatigue Hmm. during that first year and also late
1: yeah yeah and you mentioned that the training intensity can can vary quite a bit do you are, are you actually tracking the intensity of every training session or
2: there was uh, it. was done uh, on um, yeah, there. There were several different training sites, and I think two of them were using um, uh, heart rate measure and devices. Uh, mm. But we didn't at our place. So we we did it in the pilot study, and there were in general a lot of. Um, User challenges, Uh, Mm. which that. It didn't really um, work out the way that we thought, Mm. so we would have had to control it uh, quite systematically uh, to to get the data that we wanted. Mm. Um, So, what we did was just using a a subjective scale, the board scale, where um, we told them to basically, when you do the the intervals, you shouldn't be able to talk in complete sense of sentences. So mm. if, if you're able to do that, you're doing it to, to
1: life. Let's have a short break and hear a few words from our sponsor.
0: This podcast is sponsored by Fibion, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibion at fibion.com research. I see that the name of the
1: project is Energy Balance and breast Cancer Is it yeah. What is the part of the energy balance?
2: Uh, I mean, this is also a big part of the project that uh, has uh, focused on, on the diet um, But I've, I haven't been a part of that But right. the uh, extensive uh, um, measures of, uh, of the diet Both the questionnaires and diaries uh, But I'm not really sure uh, about the, the specifics of these instruments because there are other people that's been responsible for that mm. That part of the study. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and and do you have any Any things that you have learned in this project that you would like to share that are usually not in the scientific publications that what kind of
2: well not, not, really. Other than that, it's um, it's even though it's it, it feels like you cannot walk or exercise, uh, it's it's always possible to do to do something. Uh, and I think it's about also focusing on on the small things because I think the the whole physical activity recommendations and how. Um, uh, um, walk more exercise more i think it gets quite 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 polarized Mm -hmm. so i think it's either either sedentary or it's either active and those who think that i'm i mean i cannot do that either way so i'll just i I don't do anything Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think it's it's important to emphasize that even small amounts and even lower intensities uh, can um, if you don't uh, increase your fitness per se then it mm. can increase your quality uh, of life um, and in my experience the group part of the training was uh, completely invaluable mm. so I think for, for people in kind of a, a vulnerable situation uh, to be a part of something uh, that makes you focus perhaps on something else and uh, um, be a part of the group uh, that was uh, probably what I uh, well, what I'm most sure was, uh, was uh, a positive thing.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and how do you see that now the guidelines is that the medical personnel might say that don't move? Uh, wh- what do you think it, it should be the guidelines uh, related to sedentary behavior and all the way to higher intensity activity?
2: It's difficult, I think uh, I think if they could easily have the same recommendations as, as anyone else. Uh, but I think when, when you have responsibility of the treatment, you probably uh, you think it's, it's better to be too careful than to ask them to do something that might get them hurt, mm-hmm. or, or sick, or injured. Um, so I mean, I, I kind of understand that, and until we have some good data, uh, it's kind of understandable that's the advice that they get, mm. uh, because they look weak as well. Uh, it's, it's something about when you're under that treatment, uh, you feel weak and you look weak to everyone else. Mm. Uh, but when you're out of exercising, there's no doubt that that everyone can do something. We mm. don't have to run. We don't have to. We um, don't have to even have to walk up hills like we did. You could take a simple walk to the store and back. Yeah. Yeah, And just um, anything more than laying on the couch all yeah. day is probably better. And it's also something about not staying in and, and think too much, really do something else.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just having a recording with David Dunstan and they have done the study that even two minutes affects your insulin and glucose response after the meal. So... Yeah very small things, even like activity for a few minutes makes a difference. So I think it also, maybe with the patients who who would be even more sedentary, yeah. maybe even less is, is effective or has a difference.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the physical activity levels decline on average after a breast cancer diagnosis. And I think such a message is crucial. That even the smallest amounts um, will be positive for your health.
1: Mm, yeah. And is there any any other project you are working on, or is it these two that you? It's
2: it's uh, these two, and it's. Um, or I mean, now it's it's basically here on the NIH. I was much more involved on um, the Oslo University Hospital before. Mm. Now that part of it is almost over for my part, at least. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's been my research career really so far, uh, these two kinds of uh, studies, two different kinds of studies. but uh, yeah, we'll see now. I, I'm much more in charge of this one, yeah, uh, because it's kind of my PhD project, and uh, it will be very interesting to kind of start a study and complete it, and uh, I mean you get a different relation to the data. When you've
1: done you're pretty much everything, hmm, yeah. yeah, done done four hundred CO two tests, <laughs> so I, I can see that, mm-hmm. and and I want to ask, like I, I checked the Shanghai rankings of sports sciences, and I saw that the uh, the NIH was ranked number two mm-hmm. in the world from sports sciences. How how is it to work work in, a, in an institute like this?
2: It's it's amazing I mean I feel truly privileged to be a part of the the research team here um, it's it's a it's an open door policy which means that you can go to anyone uh, basically at any time and, and ask for things uh, and I know in a lot of research uh, um, societies or It's it's kind of Hierarchy, you don't Mm. go to the professors if you're a PhD candidate. uh, uh, I think it's also uh, a really positive side here that uh, we always emphasize that um, that we're a team, and that if you do a good job, then you should be honored for it. Uh, And it's kind of a, a unique um, uh, knowledge here as well because uh, we've done these kinds of longitudinal and cross-sectional studies for mm. a long time in, in involving physical activity. So a lot of experience on machine physical activity and a lot of researcher who produces quite a lot of uh, scientific work. Mm. So I mean, it's uh, it's really an honor to be here and to learn from, uh, from those who uh, has done this for many years yeah yeah. and also the social it's also something about the social uh, milieu, which is an environment which is really great both among the phd candidates but also among um, across different uh, genders and age levels it's it's really it's not a difference uh, no matter where you work or what you do
1: yeah yeah and i think even like location wise it's quite an amazing place that you have the yeah. almost wilderness starting from here you're in the capital of the country and it's just emptiness like even the even the road ends up here like yeah. it doesn't go anywhere it's,
2: it's tragic i mean i even forget about those, those things how privileged we really are that everything is around here the facilities that we can use and yeah. the the marka, that we call it the, the woods up here and yeah so i mean you yeah, know it's it's is perfect and it's uh, I guess that's was something that makes us also special compared to other European large cities is that it has that kind of closeness to, to the nature
1: yeah I yeah I think not many listeners probably haven't been in Oslo but it's quite amazing that you have like the forests are just there and all the big hills and you can see people coming with the metro here yeah. And just with their hiking back and they go to sleep in a tent and they yeah. take the metro back <laughs> the next day or something like this I, It's not many many capital cities that you do such a thing
2: no, We have a special relation to the woods I think it's um, Kind of an adventurous people I guess we have our own term That we call sleep, which is just like outside living Not mm. quite that but it's yeah. kind of an expression that relates to that And it's um, a big part for men in going out just taking a walk but also bringing a tent a fishing world perhaps doing things like that it's an important part of life for men yeah
1: yeah, yeah. it's it's an interesting term the free lift sleeve. like in in finnish language we we don't have that we have word which is kind of exercising outside but we don't have this kind of tent living and exercising i think your free lift sleeve includes
2: yeah quite I many think, things at it's, least my understanding of it includes that part as well but it's, it's basically just anything uh moving outside yeah when you move outside uh, not in the city but more rural areas or yeah. woods, mountains yeah. lakes yeah uh, anything you do basically there would be called a yeah yeah
1: that's that's very interesting here And when do you plan to get
2: your PhD finished? In May 2022. All right. That's the planned date. But uh, I will start data collection now. I think that will last for a year, Mm. probably. Perhaps even a little longer, we'll see. Yeah. Um, And then I have about one and a half years. Yeah. To, to write uh, up three articles and uh, the dissipation yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think see. that will be, I mean I mean the big challenge is just to get the results in I think I will feel much more comfortable with my um, progress when I have everything that I need and it's all up to me yeah. Because then I can do um, do it on my terms i can work as much as i want and i have everything that i need to produce it's much more difficult when you don't really have your results at hand
1: Mm, yeah i I can see that and and uh, still the last last question where do you see yourself in 10 15 years where do you want to be uh, career-wise
2: very difficult Uh, i mean i i really enjoy researching and it was just my, my last year of master's that I really realized that I like this kind of um, uh, deep dive into mm-hmm. into numbers and, um, and and research in general. So I guess I, I would prefer to continue with researching. Mm-hmm. I think also if it's possible uh, that me and my um, cohabitant that we will... Uh, Go abroad, perhaps after the PhD, but perhaps one year, uh, mm. see something else, uh, work somewhere else, uh, get some other impulses, broaden your network, stuff like that. Yeah. But, I mean, in ten years, it's it's difficult.
1: Yeah, it goes on record, so you yeah. can then go back and yeah, do um, it whether you went. Everything
2: <laughs> goes in an optimal sense in the way that I feel now. I guess. Um, I guess in the long term that a, a professor uh, that I qualify to be a professor would probably mm. be the optimal right now. But yeah. Yeah, these things change, and suddenly your life takes another direction. Yeah. So uh, I, I wouldn't bank on it, but uh, I think I will continue with research. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I will. I will get back to you in 10 10 years and we will have a (laughs) new interview. Uh, It was
0: a pleasure. Thank you for joining the podcast.
2: Likewise. Thank you for having
0: me. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com slash research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast.